Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to another episode of Everything Imaginable. My name is Gary Conchalillo. Today, we have Thomas Seawood. Tom is an Aboriginal tour guide in Vancouver. Um, what's the name of your tour again? Is it Aboriginal Adventures or was it something else? Uh, he's a gifted Aboriginal historian and legend speaker of the Kawakawaka tribe of northern Vancouver Island. Welcome to the show, Tom. Did I lose you? Yeah, you lost me. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you now. There, okay. Yeah, uh, no, I yeah, anyway, greetings, Kelakasla in my language. Nice to be on your show. Uh, thank you. Sorry, I'm a little late running on Indian time, but I was just got in from the bush. That is awesome. So um, what is the name of your uh, tour? Actually, it's we just call ourselves Sasquatch Island, www.sasquatchisland.com. And when you go to it, it's basically just a little bit of information in my email. And reason for that is we are a custom expedition tour company. I did 30 plus years of being a whale watch, grizzly bear, sea kayak, Indian tour guide. And with Sasquatches, because it's, you know, it's a new, I guess you could say, area of, for interest for people, mm -hmm. you know, we can't really schedule July 15th. We will be leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning from Campbell River. You know, it, it just doesn't work, not at this time. So what I do is I just tell people, look, give me a, an email, tell me your phone number, good time to call you, and what you envision, what you would like to do for how many days and where, Washington State or British Columbia, Vancouver Island. And then from there, I'll look at, you know, what your points are, and then I'll phone you, and uh, we'll have a discussion and uh, set the price you know it usually starts at about 150 dollars per day us for me to be your indian guide and uh you know depending on what you want we can go to you know jump in your rent a vehicle or your own vehicle in vancouver island and head up island and go to my sasquatch investigation camp which used to be my old sea kayak with the whales camp and uh to set up get a bunch of firewood off the beach sit around the fire in the evening and then go to bed, and then it's on like Donkey Kong. They'll be coming by the cabins, trying to push in, you know, just to get curious and so forth. Uh -huh. Tree breaks and uh, whooping and chattering. And then the next morning, we go look behind the cabins, and lo and behold, we usually find tracks. And a lot of their evidence from them being around that area for many reasons. The main reason is it's a launching zone to and from Vancouver Island for the Sasquatches to swim across the Johnson Straits. It's an area that allows them close distance and less tide rips from the ebb mm. and rising tides. So it's a interesting area. So goes from there. So just best thing to do is give me a call and you know, if someone phones me and says, Hey, how about that $2,500 a day, all inclusive 50 foot yacht you guys got? Absolutely. And then we'll <laughs> book it up. It could be as simple as a, uh, tent and a sleeping bag and going out and living like a Sasquatch with me for, you know, a week or more if you want, a couple days even. And, you know, basically it's just, you know, my day rate and plus, you know, the, the expenses for doing these things. And I take you out and, you know, you have a hell of a good time. A lot of my good friends now are used to be clients for one or two trips. And then now we have great friendships and, uh, come out. It's, you know, it's amazing. You know, I lived out in the bush for most of my adult life and 
I, I knew they were there. I didn't care. You know, I just gave them respect and gave them their distance. And then when I got out of the bush, my common-law wife was telling me and showing me these shows on TV. I'm shaking my head going, what's wrong with these people? If these things exist, there's no if about Sasquatch, Bigfoot. You know, they're just the other tribe, feral humans. So there you go. What is a Bigfoot exactly? Is it a cryptid? Is it a spirit, multidimensional being? Well, that spirit and multidimensional, that's complete hogwash bullshit, what people are talking about with that. What it was is they got so shit scared, they piddled and pooed their pants, and all of a sudden the mental band-aid kicked in because they saw a Sasquatch or in close proximity one. And the next thing you know, they imagine them jumping through portholes, flying in UFOs, and mind speaking, and flashing into invisibility and turning into an orb and flying off. That's all poppycock bullshit. So I don't follow that. I'm a member of the Monster X radio team, and we are Bigfoot without the BS. So I'm a hardline on it. And the reason why, I don't want to hear from the woo-woos. I got no time to hear them trying to shove down my throat their beliefs in all of this woo-woo stuff. Because I lived in the bush, and I'm 55 years old, for well over almost 30 years or more. And uh, they're living, breathing, footprint leaving, leaving poo, scratch their butt critters, plain and simple. And there's no spirituality. I'm only speaking for me. I'm not even speaking for my tribe. I'm speaking from my experience. And as far as the other native tribes throughout North America, hey, of the greatest respect, if it's your belief that they do a magical things, great. But I personally have not witnessed it in almost 30 years living in the bush. So I'm not going down that path, nor do I support it or condone it. Where did they come from? Same place you and I came from, the creator and evolution. They're feral humans. So they're just like us. Oh, yeah. Why do you think everyone can't get conclusive DNA? It's always contaminated with human DNA. It's similar to human DNA. Well, give your head a shake. There's a reason why it ain't coming out unique, because it's a feral human. Thousands of years ago, a bunch of Indians were sitting around a campfire and the chief of that family clan looked at his family and goes, look at us. Now that we have the shelter, hide, teepees, uh, what do you call it? Um, fiber teepees, long houses, big houses, pit houses, earth houses. Look at us. We're living in this modern shelter. Our stories tell us that we lived more in tune with nature. But now look at us. We got mortars and pestles of stone. We have spearheads and arrowheads and obsidian knives. We have religion. We have spiritual beliefs. We have this clothing we wear now. But look around you. Look at all of this hate, greed, animosity, pettiness, crab syndrome, trying to drag down others that aspire to higher levels. This is not what the creator wanted us to be. This is wrong. So as your chief, I don't care if you're not coming, stay here. I don't care. But I'm taking my wife and my children and anyone else from my family clan that I lead, that tonight we're going to drop everything modern and we're going to walk back into the forest where we came from and get back in tune with nature. And that's what I believe happened. And when that happened, all of a sudden, our creator, whatever you want to call him or her, her, whatever, but anyway, the creator gave them what he's given all animals, the ability to go feral, to get bigger, to get hairier, to be more robust and more aggressive because it's tough out there without weapons and fire and everything else. But he also, because these other tribe 
were out there without weapons and masks and clothing and so forth. They had to compete with the hairless humans, the where they were in, where they came from, or possibly never progressed to be. But anyway, uh-huh. they had to compete with them, and because the hairless humans had weapons and fire and numbers and canoes and kayaks. They had no choice. The big ones, the other tribe, had to harvest during the nighttime so they weren't seen or killed. Because our native laws, and I'm a Kwaklaqiwak Cree, 200 years ago, if you went into my clam beach, I could kill you and anyone else who went in my clam beach without any retaliation or punishment to me because that was our law. You only take what is your harvesting area and your property, which meant shellfish beds, berry patches, clover patches, hunting areas, the list goes on. So because of that competition and possibly death, if you go into the hairless humans place, the creator gave them the ability to evolve. And that's when they evolved night vision where they could see at night. And unlike us, you know, we're stumbling and bumbling at dark. Because we are the humans of the day. The Sasquatch Bigfoot is the humans of the night. And I firmly believe that because one day I got a Revenue Canada tax bill for over $100,000 some 20-something years ago. And I was so PO'd at the establishment in the colonial government of Canada that I just walked into the bush and didn't return for almost nine years. I did come out to spend my paychecks on money I was earning out in bush, being a hunting guide, fishing guide, ecotourist operator, watching logging camps in the winter. But the bottom line is I went feral. I went Sasquatch. I removed myself from the concrete environment and the debit cards and the pay for everything but breathing and so forth. So I know what it's like for the Sasquatches to shake their head and go, this is ridiculous. I'm going back to live more with nature because I've done it and it's a beautiful world. A lot better in this one with all this black matters and I and Antifa and a bunch of other BS going on, you know, out in the forest, you know, the ones that are spouting off protesting that, they wouldn't last in my world. We'd bonk them upside the head with a chunk of rock, a stick or a shovel. The bottom line is you be respectful out in the forest and you don't whine, bitch, or moan. That's nature's code. That's where I come from. And that's no different than what I believe the Sasquatches are like. And that's why we can't get close to them. So they avoid us on purpose. If you're a Sasquatch, would you want to come near us? Filthy creatures protesting one another because the color of our skin and the belief in the governments that we want to follow, trying to shove our beliefs down someone else's throat. And if they don't, abide by it we beat on them and then when the authorities come in called police we beat them and kill them and look at what we've done to the world i just traveled some 30 miles through logging roads today in washington state and i was appalled at how bald it is up there compared to british columbia because they log a lot more aggressively than we do up in canada and it's just amazingly destroyed so as a sasquatch looking at the humans from a mountain down in all the lights the sirens the smell the smog the clear cutting of forests the pounding of trees going to the pristine environment to harvest minerals and petroleum and gas and fiber you know think about it you know look in the mirror as a human you know we're the worst destroyer of the environment and yet we wonder why sasquatch doesn't want to come sit down with us at our campfire and sing kumbaya and drink hot chocolate 
they loathe us. They despise us. They hate us. I know because that's what I felt like towards the people that were in India back in the early 1990s when I went rogue. Would they be aggressive to humans? Missing 411. That gentleman's got a pretty good series of books and uh, interviews on TV and so forth. You know, he's recording all that. He's a retired detective, I understand. I spoke to him once, but, you know, I know of a lot of people that have gone missing. And Vancouver Island, we have uh, one woman that was killed by one in the last five years. They closed the rest stop down where she was decapitated and her left arm was torn off and her body was pummeled, but her clothes were intact and she wasn't sexually assaulted. But they covered it up because, God forbid, it's... It's early spring. We can't let all those people coming from the cities and around the world know that we have a rogue Sasquatch killing people on Vancouver Island. And then a few months later, a 16-year-old boy goes missing from the edge of Campbell River City from a trailer park late at night when he went outside to investigate some noise that his mother had heard. So, yeah, there's people going missing. There always has been. My native culture talks about chonacha, mm-hmm. how it takes with their big hairy arm, misbehaving bad children and rubs spruce sap like a sap from a evergreen tree into their eyes so they can't open them and see and she puts them in her basket on her back or into the sack that she's carrying and she brings them deep into the forest to her invisible home and that's where Junacha boils them up and eats them and there's countless other accounts of first nations from canada talking about the cannibal ones that live up in the mountains or deep in the forest the other tribe so yeah there's people go missing all the time and i attribute some of it to Sasquatch predation. As we encroach in our territory more and more, do you think we'll see more of that type of activity of them being more aggressive to humans as we destroy more land and more wilderness? I think it's mainly due to the population increase that we investigators are all starting to scratch our head and realize is happening with the Sasquatches in many regions of North America. And, you know, you know, I was taught by an Omaha Indian who's a good friend of mine and a fellow investigator with Sasquatch Island, my group. He runs, he's the president of the Omaha, Nebraska uh, chapter of Sasquatch Island. But, you know, he's lived a young life where he had some interactions with what they call Sitonga, their Sasquatch. And he taught me that, Tom, they have laws, very strict laws. They have hunters, harvesters, scouts, and rogues. You don't be, you don't want to be around the rogues. They are the males that were displaced as clan leaders, and they've gone off on their own, gotten bigger, more aggressive. Tom, you don't want to be around the rogues. So today we um, actually found a track. Uh, I'll be posting it on Sasquatch Island tomorrow morning. It's not a definitive track, but you had to remember that, you know, I've got well over 30 years being a hunting guide and I specialize in grizzly bears and black bears. So I know how to track. And mm-hmm. I, we stopped today at a high elevation, about 4,000 feet at the end of the logging road because the culvert bridge was washed out a little bit. So you couldn't safely drive across. And it was getting overgrown anyway because no one's crossed for quite some time. But anyway, you know, started doing my business using the bathroom, having a pee. And as I'm looking down, I'm like, nah, that can't be. I'm looking at it, looking at it. And then finally I changed my direction after I was done. And I'm like, well, be son of a gun. 
That's about a 20 to 21 inch Sasquatch track. So I put my foot beside it, took a picture, called the Indian tribe member that was with us from the territory. And he come over and goes, well, I'll be. Looks like a Sasquatch track. So, you know, you never know what you're going to find out there. How did he, um, so like on TV, I've seen like, you know, different methods of communicating with the Sasquatch by banging on trees or, or howling. Uh, like, is that an effective way to trying to communicate with them or? Um, no. Uh, number one, we're taught is Kwakwakiwak uh, when we were youth, learning to hunt and go out in the boats, clam digging and just basically harvesting from our traditional territories off northeastern Vancouver Island. That if you were planning on clam digging on the beach, you can, the communication between Sasquatch and us was you go to the beach at high tide during the day because the low tides that are really big are usually at night. And you go look at the high tide mark. And if you hear banging of trees, shaking of trees, something thrown at you, or you see broken shellfish piled up with fresh meat still clinging on a log, sitting there in a pile on a log or a rock, you're to get in your boat and go down the beach one of the directions a mile or more and go do the same thing. If you don't see or hear anything, then yeah, harvest there that night or the next few nights because Sasquatches aren't using that area. Those broken shells were there to tell the humans, we are harvesting here. This is our beach. So to me, that's communication, definitely. And as far as the, you know, communication, my late uncle um, told me a while ago, just before his passing three years ago, that long time ago, they the head of uh, Kinkham Inlet where they lived and they went up the Kinkham River on a boat with an outboard and they went to a fishing camp that had a house and a smokehouse and a wood stove in there and they told the young guy to grab the box of groceries and bring it up to the cabin and start the fire and put the stew on that they brought with them to warm it up. Well, a couple minutes later, this young guy come running down, and he's like, oh, Adam, Adam, get in the boat, get in the boat, we got to get out of here. And he goes, what for? This big Judah walked out of the forest and looked at me and said, yo, in Pakwala, yo, is part of saying, yo, weeks us. It means, hello, how are you doing? I don't know who you are. So if you're walking down the trail at night and you don't know who's coming towards you, you'd say, yo, weeks us. It's, mm -hmm. hello, who are you? I don't know who you are. But if you know who the person is, it's, yo, Mike, Kalakasla, how are you doing? Good to see you. So anyway, the Sasquatch walked out from behind the cabin and looked at this young Indian guy and said, yo, which basically is, hello, who are you? I don't know who you are. Scared the bejesus out of him. He ran back down with the groceries, jumped in the, the boat, wanted to get out of there. But the older guy said, no, 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 come on, let's just go up there. And that's what my dad taught me when I was a kid. If you ever see the Chonakwa camps, and uh, through the years, and nothing's happened. I didn't have them come sit down with me and drink coffee. I didn't have them coming in and going aggressive and making me another statistic to be a missing 411er. But I did. Will it happen? I don't know, but I'm trying, and I know others are. And hopefully, one day, one of us will make the cover of National Geographic where we'd have that interaction with Sasquatches somewhere or Yowies in Australia or whatever, or Yeti up in the Himalayas. But, you know, that's what it's mm -hmm. all about. It's the greatest adventure. One of the last ones remaining in this mixed up, overpopulated world. And people like me are out doing it and carpe diem.
Um, are they migratory? Like, do they migrate to different places during different seasons or follow a certain type of food source? I can only speak from my area, the Pacific Northwest, mainly Vancouver Island and the mainland of British Columbia, South Coast. And yes, absolutely. Uh, we've been tracking the seasonal migrations. I'm one of the strongest advocates to teach people that get out of the wool yarn basket of North America, get out of the forest, go to the open areas where the highest concentration of seasonal protein will be so that hopefully you can see them and record them with video or FLIR video. And it's going to be in your salmon spawning areas during the late summer, early fall, into late fall. It's going to be in your shellfish beaches at low tide during the winter time from November through until March when the herring show up. When the herring show up, they'll be in the shallows in the thousands. And you can just bend down and pick them up one by one in the water. It looks like someone spilled milk in it because it's milky green from the milk from the males during the spawning frenzy. But you can bend down and grab a five-gallon bucket full of herring with your hand in like 20 minutes it's nothing mm -hmm. there's so much protein then at the end of march into the beginning of april in different regions the ooligan the candlefish migrates up to the head of our inlets and goes into our glacier fed rivers to spawn and at low tide some of the estuary tide pools are just black with hundreds of thousands of ooligans that once again you can walk in with a dip net and scoop them up and sasquatches have been known to grab big logs driftwood and lift them over their heads and smack them against the water in the shallows which just like a whale breaching out of the water it stuns the fish and after they splash a few times they just bend down and start picking up the ooligans and eating them <clears throat> and then after ooligan season you have seaweed and you have the big spring tides of may and june where things like rock scallops limpets chitons mussels and are exposed that you can eat an octopus even at underneath boulders at low tide. So there's all kinds of seasonal proteins and that's what we track. And most of the time now we're tracking the urbanized seasonal proteins like this time of the year, the cherry trees are getting ripe. <clears throat> I know a few places where Sasquatch has been known to frequent some cherry orchards. So that's one of the areas I'll be working on in the next couple of weeks. And then when the greenery in the garden starts sprouting, we have numerous areas and numerous team members that are keeping an eye with trail cameras and flurs and night vision in their backyards because their kale's coming up. Sasquatch love kale. The uh, tomatoes soon will be ripening at the end of June, beginning of July into August in the greenhouses and the backyards and porches. They love tomatoes. So it's, you know, bringing in the data through the years. It's all about the highest concentration of seasonal protein that a Sasquatch can fill their belly and their arms in the shortest period of time without being seen by humans between roughly 11 o'clock at night and four in the morning before daylight. So the humans in the night are pretty tricky and we still haven't come up spades and got a win yet because we don't have the crispy video. Um, one thing that you mentioned, like when you talk about them eating fish, I was just thinking you know, of that famous Bigfoot footage, the, uh, footage from the Patterson video. Do you think that video is real? Absolutely. I've seen my fair share of Sasquatch and what Roger Patterson and my good friend Bob Gimlin videotaped in 67 was a female Sasquatch, what we call Chunahua in my tribe's language. I always thought that video was real myself, actually. I always... Yep. 
So there, that there's, there's, definitely- no, there's no way that's a person in an ape suit. No. Um, there's a couple others that are really blurry that I think are, you know, true. The Freeman film, I'm sorry. I think that's a human in a suit. It's mm-hmm. too... <clears throat> there's a, we have a saying when you're out hunting, when you're hunting grizzly bears. If it looks like a porcupine, it's a juvenile cub. Just turn and go for another one. So unkempt hair. So when you look at wild chimpanzees, monkeys, orangutans, mountain gorillas, bonobos, which is a different strain of chimpanzee, their hair is always like Elvis Presley. It's always well-groomed because of the oils and because of the natural grooming. But when you look at those supposed Sasquatch pictures, and there's so many fakes out there, I call it small penis syndrome. You know, men that got small penises, they're not getting the attention that they really want. So they Mm -hmm. go put a Sasquatch or a monkey suit on and go, hey, look, I filmed the Sasquatch. Small penis syndrome. But anyway, there's countless ones out there. But the trick is, if you look at them and the hair is spiky, like a porcupine, it's going all skelter that's uh-huh. synthetic or it's wild hair that's been depleted of the oils through tanning and it's just wild and all over the place looks like me after a big night of drinking beer and waking up in the morning with a hangover uh, look like that so that's what you got to watch for you know being a hunter tracker you know it's you know i look at things and i just shake my head and oh another boy with small penis syndrome you know so you got to watch for that and the best thing is reach out to guys like us, SasquatchIsland.com, the Facebook group, Sasquatch Island. Yeah. Go on there. Join it. You can comment and say, hey, Tom, give me a call. I got something to talk to you about. Yeah, what's up? Well, I filmed something. I just want you to see. And all of a sudden, I might go, wow, that looks like the real deal. Yeah. I mean, they they say that there's, um, I guess down here, like in Alabama, in the Florida area, they call it a skunk ape. Yeah. Because it lives more probably, like they say, like in the bayou. Yeah. Rougarou. Mm-hmm. Um, are Bigfoot, Yowie, Yeti, Skunk Ape, are they the all same thing? Or are, are they different tribes of them? I can't answer that. I, it's just, you know, I've, I'm not even, a, would even go near calling myself knowing a lot about Sasquatch in my area, let alone commenting on uh, people that are investigating the Skunk Ape. You know, I spent time down in Louisiana, the forest, and when I told the people I was living with in the bayous of Louisiana, when I went out in a bateau and was pulling around and sleeping in a hammock nine feet off the ground because I brought a stepladder with me, <laughs> and when I got back and I told them, I heard this thing, it was making this noise, and I imitated the scream kind of howl. And their eyes went big and rogaroo. That was a rougarou. Oh, good thing you brought a gun. That was rougarou. <laughs> and I'm like, what is a rougarou? And they told me, and I'm thinking, geez, that sounds like our Sasquatch Bigfoot. And, you know, but I don't know. I never saw one. You know, I've never really sat down with a skunk ape investigator to compare notes, nor have I sat down with someone from the Yowie areas of Australia or Southeast or Rang Pendekes or... You know, and I've talked to a few people from the Himalaya areas. And I'm pretty sure it sounds like Yeti and Sasquatch are on the same evolutionary branch. Uh, are they Gigantopithecus blackie? I don't even know that. You know, we have to get in. Someone's got to find something or someone's got to get an interaction going with them. And then we can answer those those big questions like that. That brings me right to my next six. 
right to my next question. You know, one of the things that skeptics always say is that we don't find any bones or remains. Do um, you think it's just simply because they bury their dead? Speaking only for the Pacific Northwest, I've accumulated and a lot of accounts from fellow First Nations, uh, Canadian Indians, of ancestors being brought by the Sasquatch and seeing their burial chambers. Vancouver Island and just off northeastern Vancouver Island on the mainland is the world's highest concentration of limestone car structure. It is so vast, so unexplored, just a fraction of the caves have even been found. I've seen many, I've talked to splunkers, and they are scratching their heads going, we didn't know there was caves up in that area. So it's unexplored. It's wild region, the coastal, actually most of British Columbia. And we have a lot of First Nation stories and even some loggers of finding these caves with like partially, I'm not going to say totally, but just partially natural mummify, mummification had taken place where they could see the dry skin and the shrunken bodies. So if you look on the internet or you go to Sasquatch Island or get a hold of me, I can send you a picture of the Smithsonian Institution with the tall, skeletal, partially mummified creature in a box standing by two Victorian-aged gentlemen, one of them depicting the same stance across the arms of that mummified creature. Well, that mummified creature is a Sasquatch. And the reason why I know, number one, the size, yeah, but number two, the philtrum area. The distance from the top of the upper lip to the base of the nose is very pronounced on Sasquatches like a chimpanzee or a mountain gorilla. And that's the one difference that I've found in my close encounters with Sasquatch is that's the first thing I, I registered was, was, holy smokes, look at this distance between the upper lip and the bottom of the nose. And then all of a sudden it gives you that big, huge grimace and you see those big teeth the size of chiclet gums and it's just like, whoa, okay, time to get out of here. He doesn't want me here. But from what I've seen, that's what I'm seeing. It's a halfway between a human and that, I guess you could say, a grade eight. So to me, you know, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but it looks half human and half that. And that's why I call them feral. They've, you know, definitely look a lot meaner than most humans do. Um, one of the things that I've also seen is um, this idea of gifting to them. Like you leave uh, an apple on a tree stump and then somebody will come back the next day and the apple's gone and there's like a rock in its place. Is that yeah. a Sasquatch behavior? Yeah, that's Sasquatch behavior. Different regions, different accounts. Um, I gift them the ones around my Sasquatch investigation camp. You know, we, were run, we ran out of apples and plums one time, so I just grabbed a box of frosted flakes and went out and dumped it on the log. And uh, lo and behold, the next morning it was gone. And, and, you know, it looked like, you know, it, Looked almost like they come in at light, but they're masters of stealth. You know, I've sat there trying to stay awake, and you fall asleep. And the next thing you know, you go outside to take a pee before daylight, and the apple's gone, the frosted flakes have been hit. And you know, yeah, sure, mice, rats, uh, night squirrels, sure, to a certain extent but not in the mass of cleanup that I've seen in that area ongoing. And plus, the show. One of the things I'm doing is I record myself REM sleeping after I drank about 10 beer. Mm -hmm. I recorded myself on a digital micro uh, recorder, and then I looped my deep 
grizzly bear, chainsaw, rip, snorting, snoring, and farting. And now I go to the cabin. I did it twice now where I go and I go through all my normal patterns. Cook my dinner, make a fire, make the fire real big, go to bed, leave the candle on, bunking a button to get comfortable, blow the candle out, and then within 10 or 20 minutes I should be sleeping. Well, instead of doing that, 10, 15 minutes later, I turn on the microphone. Ram sleep, rip snorting, beard snoring, farting Tom. And the next thing you know, I heard that slough, the bushes that grow here. It sounds like someone walking on uh, through the bush with a plastic tarp. It's kind of noisy. And they're trying to come in stealth. And I'm getting all excited. And I jump up and I hit my camera to hit video. Because I was going to hopefully get eye shine and something looking in my back window. But instead, it would must have went back to photo or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's electronics. But anyway, the photo, I, when I hit it, it went instead of video, it went photo, and the flash went off. So all I got was this illuminated flash on my back wall, which is all windows of my small little cabin. And uh, just a blur shadow of looked like a shoulder. But I'm not even going to share that on the internet because all the negative nilly whiners will come out and get their panties on a bunch that it's not conclusive so i'll just keep that into my private records and show people in private off my laptop or cell phone but i definitely heard him run away and he sounded like a freight train running at 50 mile an hour when he took off so i tricked him i used the looping snoring noise of me but i was still <laughs> wide awake ready to go put the jig on them and that's how i've gotten close to sasquatches i got to use ingenuity i call it that's how you put the jig you turn the table you become the one now that's in control of the situation not them they don't like it be careful they get pretty pissed off sometimes they're roaring you know that you pissed them off royally hmm. um do uh any of the uh, first nation tribes have any type of relationship or agreement with sasquatches out of respect for those tribes, I, can, I will not answer that. Okay. I only speak for my my what I do and my tribal beliefs. But there's sense. some pretty interesting things going on. I'll give you that. Like just for example, what I'll give you is in January 23rd when we started hearing about this Wuhan pandemic start or virus spreading around basically China and the world. I told friends and family, I got on social, my personal social media, Facebook, Thomas Seawood, and told people, batten down your hatches. There's a storm coming called a pandemic. You know, buy a bunch of foods, buy a bunch of N95 masks, gloves, disinfectant. And I got called crazy by people. And, you know, others attacked me that I was spreading false rumors and stupidity. Well, month and a bit later look where we were in mid-march we were right smack dab in the middle of what we are in right now a pandemic so during that time though early february i was really concerned for the sasquatches because i know there's a few people i communicate with that we got that they have some pretty good uh getting close to diane fossey jane goodall moments going on so i said to them i said you know we do know our native indigenous warning is three three bangs three this three that it all depends on what tribe but generally three is the warning the alarm number i said i don't know about you guys but you know maybe we should go out and for you that are gifting pretend like 
you're going to put the gifts out an hour before dark, but then start coughing and hacking and retching, like what they say this virus is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But take a stick that you just barely break and break the stick three times. So bring a long one. Give them the warning at three. Put the food in the house or wherever. And then once it gets deep dark, go do it again. And then hour, hour and a half after dark, just before you go to bed, go do it a third time. Give them the warning of three that we humans are sick once again. Because I've been asking questions through the years and recording uh, accounts of Sasquatches in the Pacific Northwest contracting smallpox, tuberculosis, Spanish flu. So we, we know as natives that they got the same diseases we got during the times. So it stands to reason that if they got Spanish flu 100 years ago and smallpox 100 years prior to that, tuberculosis coming and going since contact up until the early 1940s, doesn't it stand to reason that there's a good possibility that we could possibly pass on COVID-19 to them? So not getting into a debate about it or you know, arguing about it, we chose to affect action and mm-hmm. pass on to the Sasquatches the sign so to speak the communication that we are sick right now well of six places this took place in the pacific northwest and one in central north america the sasquatches disappeared right off the get-go and haven't been seen since so they basically took the warning so you know on out of respect for those tribes and my friends and fellow investigators that are indigenous and most aren't even investigators they're just doing what their grandfathers and grandfathers have been doing in regards to the sasquatch that you know i can't for these things are taking place you know i'm trying to get in there but you know i keep getting told oh no no they're sacred tom and our tribe doesn't believe that we should take pictures or video or divulge where they are and so forth great i totally respect that but there's other tribes i'm working with to try to develop their ecotourism operations that bring people into traditional indian reservations and show them the sasquatches that they have on night vision and flur because you know indian reserves are depressed communities in most cases you know not everyone has a casino and are making millions there's some that are below poverty navajo nation for one you know Mm -hmm. that don't have running water and that's why the pandemic has hit them so hard and they you know still for the most part they live a shepherding type of life with the sheep and so forth so our worlds and respect levels between the different tribes just like our respect levels to the other tribe the sasquatches that's chiseled in stone across those lines that's um yeah i i could definitely see how that would be um so how long do you think uh, Sasquatches have been around? How long your ancestors been around? I'm not really sure how long humans have been around. Well, if you're a creationist, your beliefs are a lot different than evolutionist. I'm an evolutionist. Um, my native tribal stories tell us that the creator came and created the world and sent his brother the transformer to transform animals into human beings. And that's where we Kwakwakiwak came from. My Nuyum, my first ancestor is Kulus, younger mm-hmm. brother or cousin of the Thunderbird. So we all have different beliefs in that. So when it goes to the Sasquatch, I believe, because I'm an evolutionist, 
we can look at North America because there's a lot of stories of the little people, the stick people, what my tribe calls bukwus, the little three, four foot high hair covered bipedal creature. Well, I believe that in an evolutionary track, I think we can trace that to the land bridge. And that's possibly what they're seeing down in places like uh, the Philippines and uh, Arian Jaya, which they call the Orang Pendek, or as National Geographic uh, opened up to the world about six years ago, the Hobbit, right. uh, Homo Florensis, that they found a cave with these 10,000-year-old skeletons. Well, a lot of us still believe that Homo Florensis, the Hobbit, is still running around those areas. That's the little hair-covered bipedal creature they're seeing. Well, I think that is what we call the Bukwus or the little people or the stick people here in the Pacific Northwest. And I've heard stories of them right across Sasquatch Island, a.k.a. North America, Turtle Island. All the Indians call North America Turtle Island because it looks like a turtle from space. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to get into that. That's UFO stuff, not my area <laughs> of speaking. But I call it Sasquatch Island because every tribe has stories about the big other tribe the Sasquatch, the big hairy ones, but we also have the stories of the little people. And that's a whole different area altogether. So with evolution, maybe we can trace back the Sasquatch to Gigantopithecus blackie. Maybe we can trace it back to Neanderthal because we know that we as humans, human sapien, sapien, whatever you call us, we have Neanderthal genes within our bodies, more mm -hmm. so from Eastern Europe and uh, Western Europe and all of Europe and Eastern Asia, Western Asia, whatever, anyway. So maybe the Sasquatch and the evolutionary chain when all of a sudden Neanderthal was going up before it became Neanderthal, maybe there was a break and maybe that's somewhere down there with Gigantopithecus Blackie. I don't know. I just referred to them as the other tribe. But, you know, one day we will get some conclusive proof and the scientists will be able to answer those in-depth questions. Right now, I'm just an investigator trying to get crispy video and a good, crispy, high-res <laughs> One of the things that I was listening to you on one of the uh, other podcasts last night, getting ready for this one, and this strange idea popped into my mind about, you know, when you bring them, bring them up as like humans and another tribe and stuff like that, I know this kind of sounds like an outlandish idea and have no way of backing this up, but I was thinking like, Maybe, like, you know, we were a primitive people, and at some point, maybe aliens came down and offered their help, and one group of people accepted that help, and the other group didn't, which later became Sasquatch. It's a strange theory, I know, but... Isaac Asimov touched on that in the novel back in the 80s, and me, I'm not even going to go there, you know? It's like, people go, oh, do you... What kind of tree structures do you find? What do you find with glyphs? I'm like, come on. When you're out in the bush looking for Sasquatch, you're too busy looking for a non-silhouette profile of the creature because that's how you see them. Mm -hmm. You see a black shadow. It's not a shadow. It's one in the bush peeking at you. Or it's behind a tree, behind the foliage. Or it's up a hill blending in with the moss and the rock cracks. That's what you usually see of a Sasquatch. So I'm surely not going to go out there as a Sasquatch investigator looking for glyphs and tree structures and especially UFO climbing in and jumping out of 
UFOs, Sasquatches, because it's a waste of bloody time. You know, when you're a hunter, you're a hunter. Everyone that yeah. goes in there chasing after tree structures and glyphs and UFO flying Sasquatches and orb jumping portholes shooting Sasquatches, mm -hmm. give me a flipping break. So take a sit down with an Indian and learn how to be a hunter. You're out there, you're looking for one thing, the creature. Right. The animal you're going to harvest. You're not out there looking for deer poop and deer rubs in the most part. You're looking for the deer, you know, and that's what Sasquatch investigating is all about. There's the concrete blinded by city dustites that come out in the weekend warrior and go out with their trail cameras and their flurs. They're coming out with all these grandiose YouTube claims of tree structures and glyphs and porthole jumping, cloak hole, mind speaking Sasquatches, you know, Look at Todd standing, you know, he clipped the hairs off the ass of his German shepherd and taped them to his face and came out and proclaimed the videotaped Sasquatch. Give me a freaking break. You know, everything I look at, it's standings. It's nothing but bullshit. My leg hurts. He's pulling it so much, you know, so it's, you got to watch out. There's too many small penis men out there trying to get spotlight time and grandeur. You got to stick to the, you know, the old guard, the ones that are doing it isn't serious investigators. You know, you can name, I can name Cliff Berrickman, number one, Bobo, uh, the Olympic project with Shane Corson and uh, Derek Randalls um, and others that are out there. You know, I mainly speak for the Pacific Northwest because that's my area of operations, but I've met some of the other guys that just haven't really had a good time to have a beer with them in a real long tooth wag with them about Sasquatches, but I know who they are and, you know, keep it simple. Kiss principle when you go Sasquatching. Never mind all that Hollywood fantasy stuff, you know, and I keep saying it over and over. The woo side. Stay away from it. You know, you go down the woo side, you, you, you might see fairies with wings before you see the Sasquatch you believe all that stuff. Yep. Well, I was just thinking maybe, like, you know, because it seems like there's just a gap in evolution, somewhere <clears throat> you know like that missing link theory basically we could sit up for the next five days trying to figure that one out we're never going to get anywhere <laughs> we need a body you know <laughs> hopefully they're going to give us a living breathing body that we can take some measurements and some hair strands maybe get some blood and then you know but i or better yet maybe someone's going to stumble across a dead one it has happened before john green's book you know, I remember that as a kid reading it, and that's the go-to Bible as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, he had old school encounters from the late eight, from the 1800s right through to the, to when the book was written, I believe, in the early 1970s. Mm -hmm. You know, those accounts from those loggers like at Happy Camp in California in the 1950s and uh, Butedale in the 1960s, British Columbia Coast, swimming Sasquatch, and the countless other reports that are in John Green's book, uh, My Tongue, but research is a big thick one, about two inches thick and a sort of greenish emerald colored cover with a native on the front, picture of John Green, some Bigfoot and Patty's face. But anyway, in there, when you read it, it just gives you the old school stuff. And John Green was, he was, he was the mafia of, you know, Mm -hmm. You beat mm -hmm. a cop, you throw a rock at a cop, you throw a firebomb at a cop, you deserve to be shot. You don't deserve a court case because that's the ultimate disrespect. And that's 
what's happening with Sasquatches, all these pins and all their goals and all their viewpoints, and they're shoving woo down our throats. Being an Indian, when someone tries to shove woo down my throat, that's no better than some Jesuit priest shoving a crucifix down an Indian's throat as they're tossed afterwards, tossing them into the fire because they would not accept the good Lord in the Bible. So that's where I stand with wooism. That's why I don't support it, condone it, and I don't want to hear it. And I've ripped the throat out of a few dozen people that have tried to shove it down my throat sideways. Absolutely. Um, can you tell me about one of your uh, most favorite Bigfoot encounters? Um, no one there coming into my camp. We were building in 2012, 2013, we were building five cabins that looked like native-style big house structures for my tribe on an island up in the Broughton Archipelago. And me and my cousin worker, Darcy Coon, you know, we were getting our garlic stolen. We were seeing their push trails coming into all the perimeters of our camp. You know, we even saw them on one occasion. Actually, Sasquatch actually chased away our our non-Indian carpenter because he got so scared when he saw one and heard it. So anyway, Darcy and I were still staying out there, and this is uh, probably leaves were falling pretty good. We were waiting for the monsoons to come. That's what we call the October-November rains. Behind the cabin we were staying at, I piled these piles of leaves and branches that were strategic so that I could hide behind them to shoot it. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go see if I can find this chonacha, this Sasquatch. So I put my 12-gauge and 338 out my window, and I crawled out the window, and I scurried on my belly, full camel, and I scuttled like a snake, dragging my rifles over with, on my right straps on my shoulders. But I'm scurrying away, and I get to this pile of alder leaves about 20 minutes before dark, and I crawl into it backwards with my feet first, dragging my guns in there and I'm sitting up against this tree and I got all the leaves piled up on me and I'm kind of scooched there and I got both my shotgun and my 338 underneath me just in case and all of a sudden just before it gets dark this big sasquatch this big black shadow is coming through the bush and it's I'm on an old skitter track they called from when they logged the island in, in the 20s and that's our trail but it's about a four and a half five foot high bank and to my right is the cabins and the Sasquatch with its left hand grabs this alder tree and it stretches its right leg out towards where I'm hiding in the leaves and it steps on the trail and it's sort of leaning towards the trail and the tree is putting a lot of pressure by holding that tree. You can see it bending, a couple leaves falling. And all of a sudden I come shooting out of the leaves and I go, and I'm laughing away with that chonakwa. He jumped up. He does, and that tree's slapping back and forth. He just turns and he goes like 20 mile, 30 mile an hour through the bush. Snap, grab, bam, boom. And he disappears and you can hear him go up the hill. And I'm laughing away, running back to the cabin. But I realized it was a juvenile one. It was a uh, lanky, probably close to six and a half feet tall. You could tell he was not gaunt, but skinny-ish. He wasn't the big one. And then a few days later is when the big, his dad made his presence known by looking at me and grimaced at me and stood up. He was hiding in leaves beside a stump, observing us as we were working that afternoon. But what he was doing was just giving me the message that, yeah, you put the jig on my son. Well, I just put the jig on you. 
So, you know, that's, to me, that was disrespectful, yes. But after realizing it was the son of the big Sasquatch, I think the big Sasquatch was bringing him down there and probably said, son, if there's anyone out here that's been here for the last 26 years that you're going to put the jig on and get close to their camp without being found or seen or smelled, it's going to be that. Since 1988, he's a good Bushman. So here's your training. Go try to put the jig on Tom. I turned the tables and put other the next day stood up where he was hiding and grimaced at me, shook his shoulders, turned respecting one another. You know, I think he respected that. I was helping him teach his son, I guess, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But, you know, to me, it was one of the greatest encounters I ever had. Scared to live in bejesus out of the Sasquatch. But I think Darcy in the cabin was scared even more. That dark Indian, I scared him white that night. <laughs> <laughs> so you've actually scared the Sasquatch. Yeah. The Sasquatch scaring you. Yeah, that was one, that's my best encounter. That's great. Um, so before we wrap this up, um, do you have anything that you want to pro promote and let my listeners know where they can contact you again? Well, number one, make sure you send me a link so I can promote you. You told me you just started, so you know, yeah. I've got yeah. a pretty big network. So send awesome. me a link to the podcast and the banner and the pictures of you with the microphone and so forth. You know, I can do a nice little post on Sasquatch Island and then uh, great, thank you. Link it out to the other groups I'm part of. I am Sasquatch Island on Facebook as well as with monsterxradio.com. I hold the podcast called Sasquatch Island that you can uh, subscribe to and monster exclusive. Just go to the website, monsterxradio.com. And I also am the host of Sasquatch Island, the other tribe, our documentary series that we've been producing for the last three years. And we have some audio glitches on our 22-minute uh, half hour first show that we're trying to rectify and as soon as we do i'll be putting it up on youtube channel sasquatch island so definitely go there and you know check it out please do join sasquatch island and uh keeping tabs of things when you do have a bathroom break grab a beverage sit down scroll away i guarantee you sasquatch island's really going to interest you because there's no repetitive posts in there unless i find them super interesting and most of it is just Sasquatch in a North American Indian perspective, beliefs, and our encounters. So there you go. Well, thank you for so much for being on my show. It was definitely a great well, thank interview. Thank you. And I'd love Good to have you back it. again. Yeah. And um, just to my, a note to my listeners, please like and review my podcast and whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find and tell your friends. If anyone wants to be a guest, email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. Also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter and everythingimaginable2020.com. Uh, I also have a Patreon page at Everything Imaginable where you can make a donation to support this podcast. And remember, everything that is was first imagined. See you next week, and thank you for listening. <laughs>